0: Girls, let's give them a hand. Well, before I get into what I want to uh, sort of talk about today, I want us to go back a week and I I want to review and reflect on some of the key things that I said last week because many of you weren't here and they are foundational to where we want to go. And last week I said that This series, One Year to Live, is about shaping how we live the rest of our lives. Every day, every week, every year. And and we said that we would shape it by looking at a clarifying question. And the question would be, if I only had one year to live, what things would I do differently? If I compare how I am living now to how I might live if I only had one year to live, what things would I do differently and how would I do them differently? What things would change? What would change in my relationships? What would change in my passion? What would change in my focus? What would I say yes to? What would I say no to? What would change in the, the, sort of the priorities? What I give my energy to? What I put effort in? What would change in my life if I knew that I only had one year to live? How would it change the way I lived? And then we reminded ourselves of three key principles that life is short, this is the writer of Psalm 90, says, life is short, it passes by quickly, and the end is unpredictable. And after giving us these three points, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may live with a heart of wisdom, that we would live wisely in the choices that we make. And and, and it's so important to understand these three points points. This is, this is the heartbeat of living for what really matters. The clarifying question and these three key reminders. And then I said that our life was a dash. If you look on any gravestone, there are two dates. There is a birth date and there is a death date. And in between it, there is a dash. And when you think about it, our lives get summarized simply in a single dash. Some are long, some are short, but our lives are about a dash. And we cannot control our birth date, and we have little or no control over our de- the date of our death, but we do have complete control complete say over how we live the dash now Jesus knew that his time was limited. We looked at a number of verses that it said he knew his time was limited, that the time was coming to an end where he was going to go back to heaven. And we looked last week as an overview of four choices Jesus made because he knew that his time was limited. And and when we looked at it chronologically, he had just a little over a year to live. And those four choices were he lived passionately, he loved completely, he lived for what mattered, and when he left... He left a legacy. So Jesus is our model. And then we, I, I, we, we sort of talked about, well, how do we live uh, in light of the fact that we could only have one year to live? And I said there was a little prayer, and it was the key points of last week's talk, and the prayer went this way. Lord, help me to not forget those key realities, to invest my time wisely, to turn my whens into now. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today again, to make my moments matter, I'll talk a little more about it today, and to turn my intentions into actions. So now, let me jump into this week. I, by nature, am a person who does lots of self-examination. I'm a very introspective person, and I I sort of re-examine and examine so many areas of my life. I'm regularly reflecting on or reviewing, you know, The conversations I have, the way I lead, the things I say, the way I teach, the uh, way I am as a father, as a husband, as a friend. I'm often looking at uh, my strengths and my flaws and my character and how I can improve them. I tend to be very introspective. I think I'm my own worst critic, actually. But not only am I introspective and continually looking at my life, but I'm often comparing my life to someone else's life in one of those categories. How are they doing compared to how am I doing? And maybe it's because this series has been in the back of my mind, or maybe it's because I continue to get older. I'm not sure why. But I find these days that I'm really having a deep, close, honest look at who I am, And how I'm living my life. And I wrote this a a, a number of months ago. I wrote, honestly, there are times when I look at my life that I find it rather boring. Like I'm just going through the motions, caught up in the routine. One day flows into another. I struggle, I said, with the sames. You know what the sames are? Same demands, same stresses, same responsibility, same this, same that. Life feels mundane week after week, month after month. And um, I, to a, it comes to the point that I just don't like it. And, and, and my life sometimes is summarized just by a series of stresses. One stress after another. There are those moments of worry and those times of anxiety. There is this busyness that can overwhelm my life. Lots of to-dos and some big must-dos. And I... I don't know that I can always describe my life as exciting or fully alive or vital or abundant. And I saw. I know there are days I long for it to be different that I could live and feel differently. And I read those words of Jesus in John ten ten, 10, where Jesus says, I come that you might have real and eternal life. More and better life than you ever dreamed. A full life, a satisfied life, a content life, an abundant life. Jesus says, I come to give you that kind of life and I listen to Jesus describe it and I compare it to the way I'm living and the way I'm feeling about my life and I I, I discover that there is a disconnect between the way I'm living my life and what Jesus said life could be like. And I've been asking myself the question, why the disconnect? And it's one of two reasons. Either when Jesus talks about this kind of life, it's a utopic kind of experience that it's a goal to shoot for, or that it's something that you only get when you die and go to heaven. It's either that, and this is reality, and this is just the way life is, or there is something in my life, there are choices that I'm making the way I live my life that is preventing me or is acting as an obstacle to living that kind of life. Now, I look around at the lives of others and I have lots of conversations and I like to probe between the sort of the cliche answers when someone asks the question, how you doing? When I look at the eyes and I listen to the voices of people who come into my office and some of them paint a, you know, sort of a, a very positive kind of image of what's going on, sort of share a positive story. But somehow the way they say it and the way they look, you know that, that there's something deeper and that life is not the way they want it to be. And I have lots of conversations and it seems that that seems to be true about many people I talk about or talk to, I talk about them too, I uh, talk to. And I realize, you know, I'm not alone in this deal. Maybe there's this picture of life that Jesus describes and I think we long for it and dream about it, but we're not living that reality and we wonder why, why? You know, maybe the words that you would describe your life would be similar words like routine and boring and mundane and busy, stressful, anxious, demands, responsibilities, the same. Or maybe it would even be worse for some of you. Some of you may say, you know, my life feels empty, lonely, meaningless, pointless, futile, depressing and a bit of a bust, if you really ask me. And I get this sense that many of us are living, but we're not really alive. And people ask us how old we are. And the question we need to ask ourselves is not how old we are, it's how long have we really lived in the years that we've lived. Fully, fully lived. And I keep asking that question. If Jesus promised this, and i'm living this and there's a disconnect the question is why is it something with the way jesus is describing it maybe he said this before he said john you know uh, 1633 in this world you have trouble because i mean this is john 1010 10. maybe he changed his mind in six chapters maybe he realized oh i shouldn't have said that or maybe it's just maybe some of the choices and priorities of my life. And I think it is the second. After reflecting on this difference, this disconnect, I think the problem is with me. And what creates this disconnect between the life I'm living and the life I want to live, it's not that simple. I can't say if I start this or stop this or begin this or end this or do this or don't do this. It's not as simple as identifying like one thing and it'll poof and it'll all be better. For me, it's a little bit more complex. For me, there are a number of obstacles that from time to time, and it's not all of them, at the same time, they kind of get in the way at different times. Part of it for me is the obstacle of control. I want to be in control. In the first service, my little clicker didn't work and I couldn't control this screen. It drove me crazy. I like to be in control, especially when it comes to my life. I don't really like to say, God, take control. I like to be in control. I think that's part of it. For me, part of it, is that I sometimes have this very unhealthy opinion of myself. I look down on myself. My insecurity gets the best of me, and it keeps me from living that kind of life. At other times, it's this lack of personal identity. I'm not sure who I really am, and if I kind of get a better, clear picture of who I am, do I like who I am? And am I willing to live the way God created me? Or am I willing to just let myself get squeezed into the molds that other people create and force me to live in? I think sometimes... It just can be the circumstances and the stresses and the trials of life. I think it can be that. Sometimes it just can be overwhelming, can it? And that can create this disconnect. Sometimes it's a swirl of negative thinking that the worst will happen versus the best will happen. And and I know it's not always all of these. Sometimes it's just some of these. Sometimes it's just one of these, but they seem to stand in the way. But as I was thinking about this, I think there's something even greater. There's one that's greater that stands in the way in, uh, in my life at times. And I think it's what stands in the way of so many people in our culture who say there is a disconnect between the life I dream of and the life I'm living. And I think that it's that we've been searching for... Uh, something that will give us a satisfied or full life. And in that search, we bought into a whole pile of empty promises that our culture just lays out before us, choices that we can seek after. They tell us, seek after these, and you will find the kind of life you're looking for. You know, seek after materialism, seek after pleasure, seek after advancement, accomplishment, um, achievement. Seek after reputation, be well thought of by others. Maybe it's relationships, or maybe it's just these adrenaline-producing adventures, or religion, or maybe it's the right philosophy, that we tend to seek some of these to find a satisfied life, and we go through the motions, and we don't find it, and we kind of feel like we're coming up empty. And I... Look at that list of things that we often seek in our culture that we think would give us a full life. And I know to be true, at least for me, that if we only had one year to live, I only had one year to live, most of the things that I just described on that list, I would abandon in a heartbeat. You see, the reality is, the reality is, you only have one dash. You only get to live once. And the question is, how do we want to live the dash? How do we want to live that once? And my guess is that some of you feel at times that you're experiencing what I'm experiencing. There's this disconnect between how you want to live, and Jesus describes how we can live, and how you are actually living. And you want it to be different. You wonder how it could be different. You want to know why the disconnect. Well, we don't have to guess. The good news this morning is the Bible has a book, an entire book, that deals with this very subject, and and, and it's written by someone who by reputation historically is one of the brightest, smartest, wisest people that ever lived. His name was Solomon, and he kind of writes this essay, and he goes on this journey to find the very best of life, what is a satisfied, content life. Life at its best is what he's looking for. And the book is called Ecclesiastes. It's kind of dead center in the Bible. And it's the recording of his journey of where he searched for meaning and fullness and excitement and vitality to life. And he, he goes through all of those things like materialism and philosophies of life and pleasure and advancement and accomplishments and reputation. And, and he summarizes all these wrong things Why one word, meaningless, void, empty, nothingness. He pursued them all to the fullest, far more than any of us could ever pursue them. And he came up empty. And if you've never read this essay, never read this kind of reflection, it almost reads like his journal as he went through it. It's worth doing And I know if you do, if you took that chance to read this very short, 12 chapters, 12 little sections, I think that you would find it as relevant today as it's ever been. And when you read Ecclesiastes, the first eight chapters are really about the search for a full and meaningful and satisfied life. And then you get to chapter 9, and at the top of chapter 9, in my Bible, it has this heading, and it says, A Common Destiny for All. And it's as if something changes in chapter 9 that kind of snaps them back into reality. And it's this common destiny. And And it says this, Ecclesiastes 9, 2 to 6. He says, the same destiny ultimately awaits every one of us, righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or religious. Doesn't matter who we've been. We have the same destiny. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. What is he talking about? Life is short, it goes by quickly, and the end is unpredictable. That's exactly what he's talking about, those three realities. Then he said, because these realities are in front of all of us, this is why people are not more careful to be good because of these realities. You know, the end comes. And so, you know, party hardy, live for pleasure, live for whatever. He says, in cho- instead, they choose their own mad course. They choose a different course than they should choose because they feel like they have no hope. They have no hope in their thinking. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. There's hope only for the living. The dead have no hope. Only the living have hope, he said. And as they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Okay. Okay. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in this lifetime, this is it. All these things that we think are important loving, hating, envying, all that, when you're dead, gone. You're gone. It's gone. And then he gets to verse seven, and it's as if he then outlines this. A sort of secret or this 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 thing that we need to choose or how we should live our lives in light of this reality and in ecclesiastes 9 verses 7 to 10 he describes how to live and he says you know you got this yolo moment you know what yolo is right you only live once and this is how he says you should live your yolo moment the dash here's what it is you ready have a blast while you last I bet you can remember that. You know, let's say it with me. How do we, what, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have a blast while we last. That's what he says. Have a blast while you last. Because how how you, how you last is short, goes by quickly, and the end is unpredictable. So he says, have a blast. Now, when he uses, when we talk about having a blast, he's really talking about having a passionate life. That's what he's meaning. Be very passionate about life for as long as you live. Now, he's not talking about unfocused passion or unhealthy or unholy passion. He is talking not about being passionate for the wrong things, but in this section, he is talking about being passionate for the right things, for the things that really matter. And it's about living a passionate life focused on the right things that you're passionate about. And I believe that when we live a passionate life, We live life more fully and more alive. Now, what is passion? Well, the dictionary says passion is an intense driving or directing of feelings and convictions. It's an ardent affection for something or someone, a devotion to an activity or an object, boundless enthusiasm, fervor or zeal for something, being wholeheartedly devoted to something or someone. And you ever notice about passion? It's what drives great things. Like, without passion, there would not be great music or great art or great literature, great ideas, great inventions. Passion is why athletes train and try to break records. Passion is why um, men and women in the scientific realm try to find cures for incurable disease. Passion is what drives those who are social activists to make a change, radical changes in our world against the odds. It is passion. Passion. Passion is how things are done with excellence, and passion makes life rich, full, abundant, and alive if we focus them on the right thing. You see, he's not talking about wild, out-of-control, unrestricted, unbridled bridled kind of fa- passion. He's not talking about going, and going crazy and just living wild. He's talking about having focused passion. Because here's what I know about passion, is that you can be passionate for the wrong things. All of us can choose passion and be passionate for the wrong things. And when we focus our passion in the wrong direction, it doesn't actually enhance life. When we focus our passion in the wrong direction, it actually robs us of life So passion can go in the wrong direction. Secondly, we only have so much passion. It's about emotional energy that kind of is behind passion, and we only have so much of it. So here's what I know is true. We can be passionate about some things and not all things, and when we choose to be passionate about these things, it means we do not have passion for other things. You can't be passionate about everything. None of us have those kind of reserves. And I think the challenge in our culture today, and it's sort of, it's twofold and it's often one or the other. One is that our culture tends to be passionless. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, one of my uh, favorite philosophers said, the, this age, this culture, this time of life that we live in right now, it will die, not from sin, but from a lack of passion. Another writer said, we live in a culture of pervasive apathy and there is a sense of deadness to life because of this apathetic mindset." Another author years and years ago wrote these words, we live lives of quiet desperation. And I think that some of us can find ourselves living life with a lack of passion. But I think there's another side that's much more prevalent in our culture today. And it's not a lack of passion, it's a misfocused passion, focusing on the wrong things. And, And Solomon did this. He focused on money and stuff and pleasure and achievement and accomplishment and wisdom and riches and reputation and fame. And in the end, he said, that kind of misguided passion came up empty. But he said, I focused on the wrong things. I think a lot of people today have passion, but it's going for the wrong things. And I think there are there is one thing, there's lots of things that can rob my passion. You know what the number one is? At least for me, it's when my schedule gets so overloaded and so overcrowded and I don't have time to be passionate and to focus on the things that matter. When I got so many to-dos on my to-do list and when I'm going through the motions and I feel like there's no margin and I feel fatigued and my schedule's overcrowded, I find it drains my passion. But I also have found what rejuvenates or fuels my passion, most often it's a sense of urgency. When something is urgent, it fuels my passion. When it is a priority, it is an important thing. It fuels my passion. And urgency and priority are what fuel our passion. And that's why the clarifying question, if I only had one year to live, is so important. Because if we did, I guarantee it would raise our passion for the right things. Because there would be this sense of urgency. And and, and the writer Solomon then goes on and clearly gives us four areas of passion. Four areas of passion, and I use the phrase a passion for in your outline. You could also use the phrase making the most of. So the first thing he says is that it's a passion for the simple moments of life. He says, if You know, life is going to end, and I think he's writing this as an older man now. He says, life is going to come to an end sooner than later. I want a passion for the simple moments of life. Look what he says. Go. It means based on this reality, these three key realities, do something, and it is eat your food with gladness. Every morsel, every bite, learn to savor it. And drink your wine every slurp, every spill, every sip. Learn to savor it and to enjoy it and to do it with gladness. He's just talking about having lunch. And he says, I find enjoyment, it's gladness, it's just lunch. He says, because this is the time that God favors what you do. This is the time that God is blessing your life because you're alive. And I think that he could have fleshed this out more fully. He would have said, be passionate, more fully passionate About every moment, every beautiful day, every sunset, every rainbow, every walk with someone you love, every coffee with a friend, every special occasion, every fun time with your family, every baby laughing, every rainbow, every great meal, every simple simple moment of life. He says, because we just don't know when it ends. And if we only had one year to live, I got a sense we would live life more in the moment because many of us are caught up in that sort of the idea of next. The next purchase, the next goal, the next project, the next vacation, the next achievement, the next job, the next relationship. And we live in the next and we miss out on the now. And too many of us are waiting to live tomorrow. And we're missing out on enjoying today. And as I said last week, a lot of us get into this when-then mindset when this happens, then, then I'll do something. When uh, this happens, I will enjoy life. When this happens, I will be happy. When I have the right relationship, when I get married, when I have the right job, when I graduate, when we have kids, when, 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 then, then, then I will be. And we put living on hold until the next or till the when happens. And Jesus tells the story of a man who wants to build this Busy, bulging, business empire. And, and, and he uses this phrase that really can be summarized. He says, when things settle down, when I, you know, when, when this happens, he said, then I will what? Eat, drink, and be merry. Is that not what this is? Eat, drink, and be merry? He says, I'll, I'll enjoy the moments of life, but the time, it's gotta settle down first. And his life was cut short, and he didn't see it coming. And, and, and the end came without prediction. And Jesus said, that's a foolish way to live. And yet many of us are missing the moments because we're living in the next. We're living in the future. We're waiting for things to happen. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you miss a moment, you can't go back and relive it and enjoy it. You can't. It's not like you can take your moments and put them in the bank and say, when things settle down, then I'll go to the bank and I'll pull out the moments and then I'll be satisfied and then I'll celebrate and then... You can't. When a moment goes and you miss it, you miss it and there's no chance to do it over. And I really believe that if I had a year to live, I definitely, definitely would savor the moments more often. Because there'd be a sense of urgency and it would be important. And I have a sense that I would stop thinking about tomorrow because tomorrow might not come. And I would live more for today. The second thing is, he talks about having a passionate relationship with God. And when I talk about relationship, I'm talking about being in the presence of God, connecting with God. And he says this verse, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Now, this is very symbolic. He's not talking about always wearing white clothes because you can't do that after September anyway. And he's not talking about having oily hair where this grease is running down your face. These are symbolic of spiritual activities in that day. Wearing white is about purity and holiness and obedience. The idea of anointing with oil is the idea of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he uses the word always passionately be in the presence of God with a relationship with God. When it comes to your relationship with God, are you really passionate about being in with God and in his presence? The Bible teaches that our relationship with God is to be a passionate pursuit. Love the Lord your God with all your passion, all your heart. Those words are synonymous in that verse. We are to love God with all our heart. It is to be a priority, not just a part of life. It is to be in the presence of God, not performing for God. It is a relationship like any other loving, passionate, strong, close relationship. We share with one another. We listen to one another. We get to know one another. We try to please one another. We, we want our hearts knit together. We trust one another. We treasure one another. And, and we have the interest of the other sort of priority in our hearts. And because I believe this, e- this relationship will last for all eternity, it's the one I need to make strongest in this life. If I knew I had one year to live, I would desperately find myself into the presence of God because I would need that. I, because it's in the presence of God I would find joy when there shouldn't be joy. It's in the presence of God I find peace when the circumstances would be out of control. It is in the presence of God I find compassion and care and comfort. And and, and it's, I find freedom, and I find um, confidence and perseverance. I find so many things in the presence of God. And I know some of you are here today, and you're not sure what you, whether you believe in God or what you believe about God. And maybe it's because you, you were part of a religious environment that was very legalistic, or maybe you've been turned off by people who call themselves Christians who probably didn't act like they were. Or maybe because the media has painted a poor picture of what it means to follow Jesus, or... Maybe it's just that you were disappointed with God because he didn't come through or some life experience turned you off. God, I don't know what that is. But some of you are not even sure about God. And you just so. can we skip this point? The first one was good. And the, you know, the next one will be, the second one was good. Um, but or the third one will be good. And the fourth one will be good. But this one, I want to skip over. You know, I know exactly how you feel. There was a season in my life I felt just like you did. And I would have bailed on the whole deal because of all of those reasons. But I chose in that day, I thought, I'm going to give it one more chance. I'm going to change. I'm going to have a relationship with God that doesn't look like religion. It's not about performance, not about do's and don'ts. It is about any, like any other relationship. And one of the things that I realized in pursuing God that way, it made a difference in my life. It changed my way I live and love and work and relate, my attitude, my actions. It changed it over time. When I find myself in the presence of God, I find I'm changing You know, when you love someone, don't you want to be in your presence? Don't you long to be in their presence? That's what he says, that we need to do this when it comes to our relationship with God. And I know if I had a year to live, I need the presence of God so desperately. You know, the presence of God is what gives me passion for other things. The word enthusiasm is made up of two words. EN, which means within, or it means present with and the second part of it is theos god it means present with god or to have god within when i have presence of god within i can find enthusiasm for life third thing is he talks about a passion for the people we love a passion for the people we love and you could he says this enjoy life with and whatever you have a wife husband brother sister mother father whatever enjoy life with the people whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that god has given you under the sun so positive all these meaningless days for this is your lot in life in, in your toilsome labor under the sun he goes just learn to enjoy the moments with the people in your world and i think that so often we get our passions misguided onto so many other things that we don't have enough energy to be passionate about the relationships with people we love there's these verses in ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 7 he says i saw something meaningless There was a man all alone, no son or brother, no relationships. Why? Because there was no end to his toil. That was a passion. His eyes were not content with his wealth. That was a passion. He says, what am I doing this for? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? And Solomon says, this is meaningless. This is a miserable deal. You see, I think lots of us think that we will have time to pay attention to the relationships that are closest to us when. It's a then-when or when-then kind of deal. It's not because we don't love these people. It's because we get careless about the important relationships. We take them for granted. We go through the motions. We can be a little apathetic at times. If I had one year to live, or one of, or Sue was told that she had a year to live, or one of my daughters was told they had a year to live, I know it would change the way I relate to them. I would say I love them more often. I would spend way more time being in the moment with them, whatever they do. Because when they're gone, they're gone, and it doesn't get you don't get a chance to do it. And I had this reinforced this week. Um, one of my, my daughters invited me to an event next Thursday night, and it was really important for her and important that I was there, although she tried to give me as many outs and told me it wasn't that much of a deal. But I could tell by the way she said it that it was. But I have baseball on Thursday nights, and, you know, that's pretty important. So I'm trying to figure out how to make both of these things work. You know, how can I run here, run there, and do it all? And after I hung up the phone talking to her and getting sort of the outline of the evening, it's as if I felt God saying to me, if you only had one year to live, what choice would you make? And I went, God, I hate when you throw my messages back at me like that. I just wish I didn't. I know where I'll be Thursday night, and it isn't baseball. Because these relationships matter. What about you? One year to live. How would it change the way you're passionate about your relationships? lastly, it's a passion for each and every activity you do. What he says, whatever your hands find to do, what God gives you to do, the places he puts you to do it. He says, do it with all your might, with all your passion. See, I think lots of us think that if we only had one year to live, there's things we would stop doing. Certain things what we might call works of our hand. I think a lot of people would say, if I had a year to live, I'd quit my job. And some of you should quit your job um, and for lots of other reasons or quit certain other things if you only had a year to live. But sometimes I think that it's not about quitting, it's about a new purpose and a new perspective. And maybe in your workplace, it's not about quitting if you had a year to live, but it's taking some time Instead of focusing on process, focus on people. Instead of bottom lines, focus on marking lives. Instead of sales, maybe it's time to focus on salvations. A few years ago, I, I was leaving a, a company to go into the, uh, in the marketplace to come into ministry and I knew it was going to happen for over a year. And about the one year point, I know they didn't know this yet, I hadn't told them, and I thought, you know, a year from now, I'm going to be gone from here. And I thought to myself and my and kind of journaled this that, you know what, I had one year left to make any kind of real significant difference in the lives of these people. And I think I was a better friend, a better leader, and I was closer to those people and shared more of my life with them in that year than any of the other five years before. Because I only had one year left and I was still going to be alive, but I was probably never going to see very many of them again. So what are you passionate about when it comes to what your hands find to do? What are the tasks that God's given you He doesn't say quit them. He says, have a new perspective and a new purpose and passionately pursue that. Whatever your hands find to do, be passionate about that. And now he gives us two very brief cautions. Caution number one, you know, blast while you last, but don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. He says this, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Why? Because in the grave, six feet under, where you're going, all of us, that's going to be our reality. There is neither working nor planning nor knowledge or wisdom. Someday the chance to be passionate about these things will end. Don't wait until it's too late. A whole bunch of you probably are under 30 here today. And you may go, yeah, well, I got some things to do. And when then I'll be passionate about these things? He goes on in chapter 11, verse 9 says, Be happy, young man, young woman, young person, while you're young. Be happy while you're young. And let your heart, your passions, give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. It's all about desire, it is all about passion. He says, Do it while you're young. You know, it's kind of funny when you read chapter 12, he goes on, he says, you know, remember the days of your creator while you're uh, in your youth, because he says, trouble comes and he says, the keepers of the house trembled, and we know what that looks like, And you know, strong men begin to stoop and the grinder cease, you know what that is, um, he says, and you're looking through the window, it grows dim, that's your eyes, he goes, when you rise up at the sound of the birds, you know, you're getting up at 4.30 in the morning for breakfast, um... He says, when the men are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, he's just saying, afraid to take risks. When the almond tree blossoms, he's talking about hair getting white and the grasshopper drags himself along. In other words, it gets hard to walk and desire no longer is stirred. You can figure out what he means there. Um, he says, you you know, all that happens and then you go to your eternal home. He says, don't wait till then. Do it now. Do it before it's too late because the greatest words of regret are the words, I wish I had of, but now it's too late. I wish I'd enjoyed those simple moments of life, but it's too late. I wish I had been in the presence of God more often, but now it's too late. I wish I had loved the people in my world with greater passion, but now it's too late. I wish I had been more active with my hands, more passionate with what God called me to do, but now it's too late. And the second warning is this. A passion-filled life, it's not a problem-free life. That's for sure. He says these words in chapter 9. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. And you know what he's saying? Life's not always fair. Any of you think life's not fair? He's going, yep, you're right. Life's not fair. And then he says, and people can never predict when hard times might come, like a fish in a net or a bird in a trap, people get caught by sudden tragedy. You know what? A passion-filled life doesn't mean that there won't be problems, that there won't be challenges. It doesn't mean that. But I know to be true for me that if I'm passionate about the right things, Passionate about the moments, passionate about being in the presence of God, passionate about loving the people who are close, and passionate about, you know, what my hands find to do. Even when difficult, challenging circumstances come, I believe that, they, that it, it helps me to endure, it gives me the strength, and I begin to even enjoy life, even in the most difficult times. Passion focused on the wrong things though, during those difficult times, it just leaves you empty. It leaves you empty. And since none of us know when the end will come, we need to live to the fullest today. And so I just want you to keep that clarifying question before you in those three realities. And here's what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to just take just one of these, one of these areas of passion, be it your presence with God, you know, for the simple things of life, For the people you love, or what your hand finds to do. Say, that's the one that's the weakest for me right now. And if I had one year to live, that's the one I would focus on the most. Identify that one, and then put a couple of action steps that you want to do to make that happen. I just want you to imagine that if you did that, if you did that in that area, and you got better at it, more passionate about it, and then you went to area two, and area three, and area four, added little action steps over a period of time, this takes time to do this, Imagine what difference that would make in your life, no matter how long you have left. Because we only live once, we only have one dash, and it's short no matter how you look at it. And it goes by quickly, and the end comes without warning, and you only get a say or a choice in how you live the dash. And I encourage you to live this dash because you just don't know that you live it passionately, passionate about the moments passionate about people you love passionate about what your hands find to do but I think at the core passion about being in the presence of God because that will help you to make fewer mistakes leave with fewer regrets but most importantly give you the abundant life until the dash ends let's pray Father God we just thank you for today we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And I love in one simple passage, there are so many deep truths. And I pray, Father, that we will draw closer to you and be in your presence more often and find that enthusiasm or passion for these other areas of the life. Give us wisdom. Convict us if we're seeking the wrong passions and give us this courage to begin to live for those things that really matter. And be passionate about them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion this morning as we close the service. And I was thinking about this this morning and thinking, okay, how do you tie the celebrating of communion with that message? And then I went back to uh, the definition of passion in the dictionary. And one of the definitions, one of the lines about passion in the dictionary, you know what it says? The death of Jesus on the cross. We call the death of Jesus on the cross, what? The passion of Christ. And that, and the way that's used, it's talking about this was the priority passion in the life of Jesus. His death. Luke 9.51 says that he knew his time was coming to an end and he resolutely began to move towards Jerusalem because that is where he was going to die. Jesus was passionate about dying. Sometimes we can be passionate about the right things and it's not an easy road to walk. But Jesus was passionate about giving his life Because he knew that that's what would give you life and would give you freedom and would allow your sins to be cleansed and would allow you to be free from the hold of sin in your life but allow you to be passionate and have the fullness of life. It was because of his passion. And we're going to hold a piece of bread that represents his body that was on a cross because of passion and a cup that represents blood that was on a cross because of passion. This is the passion of the Christ. These are the symbols of his passion. And he did it so that we could live life to the fullest, very passionate lives. And I'm going to invite those who are going to serve communion to make their way forward. But I want you to think about that this morning. That he gave his life for you passionately so that you and I could live the fullness of life, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be freed from the power of sin, so that we could live life abundantly, full, now and forever. That's why he did this. This is the symbol of the passion of Christ. And when you think about being passionate, let the symbols of Christ, as you hold them, let them remind you of the presence of God in your life and the presence of Christ in your heart. And that his presence is a passionate present. He's present and he loves you. And he wants you to live life to the fullest. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was passionate on the cross. Because he wanted you to live life to the fullest. And I think we dishonor him when we choose to live any other way. And yet we find ourselves that way. Let the passion of Christ fuel our passion for a full life today. Communion is available. For anyone who is a follower of Jesus, just take the bread and the cup as it comes by, hold them, and then we will, uh, we will eat and drink together in just a few moments. And while we do that, we're going to sing an old song, an old hymn of the church, and uh, it's really giving glory to God. We want to thank Him. We want to give Him honor and glory for what He did, because it says, So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, and we want to praise God. And as, uh, as each of the, the, those in the worship team sing, sing along with them, but especially let's belt out the chorus of this song and praise God for what He has done for us. As was betrayed, He took some bread, unleavened bread. It was, there's three pieces of bread in the Passover. This is the bread of Isaac, the bread of uh, redemption is what they call it. And He broke that bread, symbolic of how His body would be beaten and bruised the next day. And He said, uh, to, we eat this remembering what He did for us, and today we eat remembering His passion for us. And there are four cups in the Passover. This is the cup also of redemption. It's the cup of sacrifice. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to pay the price for the sin that you've committed, I'm going to pay that price. So you, all you have to do is accept grace as a gift from me and follow me. And Jesus died passionately, if we can say it that way, the passion of the Christ, so that we could have this gift of a reconciled relationship with God. We could live the fullness of life. Let us drink together, remembering what Jesus has done for us. Father God, now we just give you thanks for your goodness and your blessing. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to live life to the fullest. Give us the courage, the strength, and may we make wise choices in the time we have left to live a great life with fewer mistakes and no regrets. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for dying for us. And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory as we have this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want someone to pray with you on any life issue or anything you're going through, there will be great uh, people who can pray with you at the front. They can be trusted, and you can share what's on your heart. With that, go and live a life of passion.